0: always start with the script. It is the most important part because uh, good art and animation can't save a bad script. Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your
1: marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Conner. If you are a startup and trying to attract customers, but also, and maybe especially if you're trying to attract investors, you'll want to listen to this episode. Of course, investors want to know how you'll make money, but you may also need to explain the science behind your product or the biology that your product is intended to address. My guest today has a PhD in kinesiology from Waterloo University and did her postdoctoral work at the University of Western Ontario. She is the founder of Psychonic, where she creates graphics and animations to explain science to a targeted audience. Please welcome scientist, artist, and communicator, Shelley Sandiford, to the podcast. Hello. Welcome, Shelley. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So I discovered your work because you were a guest on hack the entrepreneur. So I want to thank Johnny Naster for introducing (laughs) us. Um, One of my favorite podcasts. And I want to talk about your work and how life science marketers should think about the type of content you create. But I also want to hear a little bit about your personal story as well. So Shelly, like a lot of us who love science, you started out at the bench and then have moved on to something different, but related. So -hmm. would you Tell me a little bit about your background and your life as a scientist.
0: Sure. Um, You did just mention that my my doctorate is in kinesiology. And that has pretty much all stemmed personally from this lifelong interest in how the body responds to exercise at both the whole body and cellular level. So I basically went from analyzing body composition during my master's degree to um, analyzing muscle biopsies during my Ph.D., the growing muscle cells in a dish during my postdoc and looking at how certain perturbations might affect the ability of those cells to divide and, and develop into mature muscle so that was basically the two-second synopsis of my science background <laughs> over the past 15 years
1: well it's interesting it's whole body all the way down to growing all the way down. muscles yep. in, a, in a dish yep and So how did you, uh, what got you started on the animation part of this? You know,
0: that was actually purely a hobby. You know, it was never meant to become a full-time job. Uh, I loved to draw as a kid, but uh, I was between postdoctoral jobs, and that was around 2006. And I had a little bit of free time, so I picked up Adobe Illustrator, and I started my first art website soon after that. And just started to sell a little bit of art online. And it had absolutely nothing to do with science whatsoever. But it did get me going in Illustrator. And I also picked up, I think around the same time, maybe a little bit later, Adobe Flash, which is an animation software. And that was sort of my, my introduction to animation, was just to produce art, to try and get a website up um, that I had made in Flash. But that was all a hobby. There was nothing... Career related to it at that time.
1: Right. And um, obviously at some point you, did you start animating science just to see what it would be like or. You or? know what?
0: Not, not so much. Um, not so much the animation side. I did use Adobe illustrator to make figures and diagrams and stuff like that. But in terms of making things move and trying to explain science, That didn't happen until uh, about a year or two ago.
1: Okay. And um, as a scientist who has spent a lot of time doing research, and I was in the same boat for a long time, and then we move out of the lab, it it can seem like a pretty big leap, right? Yeah. (laughs) So what was that like for you?
0: The the leap was... um, you know, fantastic. We, by the time I left academia and I left in 2013, um, I was really ready to try something new. And although, you know, a lot of years had been invested in that science career, um, I just decided, you know, it was, it was time, it was time to move on. And it just seemed like my, my remaining behind the bench seemed to be a bit of a barrier for me, um, to try and get things off the ground. So, that career literally I had to put that aside so I could start something new. And it just seemed like a couple of events just happened. Boom, boom, boom. And, um, a couple of stars just sort of lined up and then it just, it just was time.
1: Nice. Yeah. It's, um, it, I think it's hard for people because you, you do spend a lot of time going down that path and you think, gosh, am I, was that a waste or yeah. should I done something different from the start but you know other people that and maybe that comes up for everybody who switches careers but there's knowledge you bring with you and experience that's an asset wherever you're going absolutely so um so what what's different about your work that i've seen is that um you're not necessarily animating products for example which is a typical thing that that i see from from companies you're animating biology Mm -hmm. which is 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 a little bit different level of content and you do the work to synthesize a massive research to tell those stories so tell me about your process for creating those stories because it's it's not you're not just taking a bucket of facts and throwing them down on a canvas you're putting a story behind it
0: yeah you know believe it or not i actually compare the initial stages of animation to almost like writing a grant or writing a lit review um, because that's my background that's what I'm used to and you just tack a few extra steps at the very end onto that so, I mean I, I dig into uh, existing literature on a topic and that might take me a good number of papers to wrap my head around something particularly if it's outside of my own research area which is most things um, but once I've done that I uh, basically, I write up an outline to break up the writing process and I always kind of keep in mind that because my animations are generally geared towards the general public, uh, I'll start brainstorming some metaphors to see if I can bring that story a little, uh, bring that story together a little bit more clearly and initially the process is very loose I mean, there's no limit or restriction to the number of words or ideas that might end up on a piece of paper. Um, but once I have that outline and that metaphor set, uh, I will take all that information and I'll start writing up a script. So that script is generally about 150 to 160 odd words per minute of video, which is nothing. Um, very little speaking. And that's where I start editing. So even if I started with, you know, 500 to 700 or even a thousand words on a page, um, by the time I'm done chipping away at it, there's basically only 150 words remain. And only those words that absolutely positively have to be said so that the audience can follow what I'm saying, that's all that's left. And I will combine those words with images, so you don't necessarily have to say, anything, say everything because there's a combination of words and pictures. And I, I kind of also look at it from the standpoint that because my animations tend to sit around a minute or two, you're not going to fully educate someone on a topic. There just isn't enough time. So my mission is just to introduce people to something and to get them to think about something or consider a topic in a way they've maybe, maybe never considered it before. So if I can kind of push some curiosity buttons, that's that's pretty much what I do. I'm pretty happy with that.
1: I like that. The curiosity button.
0: Curiosity button.
1: <laughs> and. I I like um, how you laid out from the beginning. So I think this is a lesson for anybody who's creating content for scientists or the general public.
0: And
1: and what you said was, you know, you start out, you know, you research the topic and then you look for metaphors and and figure out how you can work with those. And then, um, you know, writing, writing a script and I don't, I didn't, won't call myself an expert at this, but that's in line with how I thought I would have done it. So, think of the metaphors, write a script so you know the story you're going to tell in words and how yeah. many words fill a minute in a typical animation or video. Not very many. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's getting down, if you want to make a two minute video, getting yeah. down to those 300 words takes yeah. some um, strong editing. It um, does. And then, um, and then creating the visuals behind that. So I I think that's just a great lesson for anybody listening who, who's thinking about telling a story about science or, or less words is always better. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well I'm a writer to some degree. So you hurt me a little bit, but that's okay. Okay. I'm I'm totally with you. Less words is better. (laughs) My wife would chuckle at that because, (laughs) um, And so your work also has a warmth to it uh, that I've seen. So it's not just a clinical description of a scientific process that's clearly laid out in images, even though the topic might be clinical. Where does that come from? How do you put that into it?
0: You know what's funny is I think a lot of the inspiration for what I do um, comes from the fact that I have a young daughter um, who has literally seen just about every animated movie on the planet um, over the past three to four years. And the quality of those movies um, today are quite something. They're nothing like what they were when, uh, when I was a kid. Um, so a lot of that inspiration is actually coming from watching her movies and even if that movie is sort of an elaborate 3D movie, as some of them are today, um, if a main character is having like a dream or a memory or some kind of thought process, um, those generally play themselves out in 2D. They tend to be very soft. They tend to be very muted. And any colors that are being used tend to be really warm. So they tend to be yellows and reds and oranges. And for some reason that really resonates for, with me for reasons that I can't really explain. So when I try to put a, uh, an animation together, I do tend to use a lot of blacks and black and whites and a lot of soft shadows, and a lot of lighting, soft lighting, and a lot of those, a lot of those warm um, type colors, because I, I think of it as a, as a thought process, right? So if you're watching something that I've created, it's almost like you're having a dream or thoughts uh, yeah. going off in your head. And it's just, it's very, very, um, very mellow
1: yeah interesting so uh, i hadn't i would have never guessed that but i, <laughs> I, I completely I, it's not something Sorry, I
0: for something more scientific but no that's-
1: it's not a way i would have thought about it but to to make that leap to say i'm watching these things and when they're animating a thought process or a dream here's what it looks like okay? yeah so i like that um So if a startup approaches you and says, we've got this exciting new platform or a diagnostic or a research tool, we need an animation to explain it, what would the process of working with them look like to create that animation?
0: Uh, Okay, so I will generally start by trying to get to know as much about that company as possible, um, what their mission is as a company and what their goals are for the animation that they want created. And who their um, target audience is, uh, because that script might be worded very differently depending upon who that end user or or client or customer is. And I would need to have a good sense of what their budget is up front. Um, animation does tend to be a little bit more expensive than than people realize. But once um, all of that and those initial conversations have taken place, uh, we do start with the script. Um, I'll always start with the script. It is the most important part because uh, good art and animation can't save a bad script. You know, it kind of go by the concept of garbage in, garbage out. Um, it really is the most important part. So if they're comfortable writing it, they can do that. I'll write it. If they would prefer that I write it, um, we can hash that out. But once that script is done, um, I will create uh, a little bit of concept art because by that point I would have a good sense of their vision and I have a script in front of me. So I'll basically put together a few pieces so that they can see where I'm headed with things and and to make sure that we're kind of both on the same page. And revisions are very easy at this point. They become a little more dicey as we move sort of down, um, down in the process. So once the concept art has been approved, I will put together a storyboard. And that's sort of where I take the script and I will make images to match that script so that the client can get a sense of, When this is being said, this image is going to be up on the screen. And it almost plays itself. It almost looks like a comic book, the way I'll make up my storyboard. So they will approve that. And from that point, um, I need some voiceover. Uh, I will never ever start animating anything without having a voice file first. And that just comes from experience. Um, there's a lot of stuff to be redone if you don't animate to a voice and, Normally, when I do animate, um, I will put words and images to the pace of somebody's voice. So I do need that voiceover. And once I have that, then I actually do start animating. Um, I will put audio into After Effects, which is the program that I work with. And I'll start bringing pictures to life at that point. And at that point, revisions are now much, much harder to make. Uh, because fiddling with animation becomes very dicey and very time-consuming. So I really do try and make sure that everybody is on the same page before this process starts. Um, but after the animation is done, uh, there's if there's any post-production to be done, that might be adding some sound effects or some music, if that's what they want. And that's about it. So the entire process can take upwards of uh, anywhere from four to eight weeks, depending on um, the length and the complexity of the animation, and how fast feedback is happening both ways, and, and that kind of
1: thing. Nice. I I like that you pointed out about well, many things in there. So the script is the foundation of the whole yeah, thing.
0: Yeah, I really Obviously,
1: is. beyond understanding your audience and and what you're trying to do, and then um, and the reason that. Uh, a company needs to take all these things very seriously is because you're going to build a script and you're going to say, yeah, that looks good. And now unlike, you know, if it were a printed piece of text, if once you record the voiceover, now, if you want to change the script, I mean, you're going back several steps. That's right.
0: It, you you want to change the script, you got to change the voiceover. That's right. Yeah.
1: And and then once you get the animation, you know, it's made for the voiceover and so on. So these things build on each other. Unlike yeah. a written document, which can yeah. be hacked and cut and pasted and changed, yeah. unfortunately, indefinitely. But uh, <laughs> but but you're really adding a significant amount of work. So it really demands that someone's thinking very hard about um, each of those steps and taking them seriously and not saying, well. I'm not quite sure what we I would do different. Let's see what the next step brings.
0: Yeah, no, every every step of the way, um, I basically will put it back into their hands and say, you know what, is this what you want? You know, make sure that if you have any reservations about anything that we sit down and we talk about it now because once, you're absolutely right, you know, each step builds on the previous step. And so it becomes very, very difficult if we get down to step number six and they decide to change something <laughs> about that script.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you, how, um, how do your clients select voiceovers? Do you have a stable of people you use and you make a choice or, um, or you give them a choice from a limited number or how is that done?
0: You know what? So far, um, the people that I've worked with, they've made the choice to do their own voiceover. Um, so they can either do it, uh, I'm willing to do it if they would like me to do it Mm -hmm. Um, or I would direct them towards a company like voices.com, which is out of London, Ontario. And I think they're, they're like a big um, database of voiceover talents. So they can use a third party if if they want.
1: Right. I was, I've only done this a little bit. Of course I have a voiceover for the introduction to this podcast. And um, I was surprised actually how reasonable a voiceover can be in terms of cost and the range and really, I mean, uh, the variation from one to another that really impacts the feeling of, of your video.
0: It absolutely can. Yeah. The right voice will will be wonderful. Yeah.
1: So, you know, you might listen to someone and think, well, they sound very professional. That's fine. But do they read the actual script and have it come out the way that you imagined it or, resonate with your audience i think that's
0: lots to think about yeah for sure
1: doing so shelly i think you are on to something with a very different angle than what i typically see where can people (laughs) go and i mean that in absolutely of course the best possible (laughs) way it's it's you you have a style and um an approach and really a product that is different than what I typically see. So where can people go to learn more or get in touch with you?
0: Sure. Um, my website is called psychonic.com. Um, so that's S C I C O N I C.com. Um, you can reach me at info at uh, You can also hook up with me on LinkedIn, Shelly Sanford on LinkedIn. And I'm also on Twitter. Uh, although I'm not quite as active on Twitter, but uh, I'm at Psychonic media on Twitter.
1: Excellent. I will put all of those in the show notes and Shelly, thanks so much for joining me today. I wish you a lot of success with what you're oh, doing.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Chris.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Shelly, for laying out your process and for sharing all those tips with us. And thank you for listening. What I really like about what Shelly's doing is that she's not just um, explaining the science, but she's putting a story behind it. And I think for as much as storytelling is becoming a buzzword in the marketing space, I also think that it's um, really worthwhile and going to become the standard for marketing communications as we move ahead. Um, Great companies are getting really good at telling stories and they realize the value. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy any episodes of Life Science Marketing Radio, the best thing you can do is to share it with a friend, all your colleagues. You can send me an email. Let me know what else you'd like to hear about on the program. And as always, a rating or review on iTunes is much appreciated. Thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks.